Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. And once again, we're back recording the epic narrative. We get to introduce one of the big stories of the Bible, Joseph. Ah, uh, yes. Now, listen, I'm, I am not going to uh, in any way on purpose destroy uh, the Prince of Egypt movie that so many of you grew up with and love and adore and people watch it and just think, oh, it's such a beautiful story. And it is. It's a great story. And it's a beautiful cartoon. And it's honestly been a, at least three or four years since I've seen it. Uh, but I know that there are many who who just adore it. Like they watch it multiple times a year. They have it in Sunday school. They they play it for their grandkids. And And this is the story of Joseph. This is the beautiful, wonderful young man who grows up to be the prince of Egypt. And that's awesome. I'm not going to take away from that. But there will be sometimes some details that some of you are going to be like, no, no, that's not what the movie said. And I don't know what those details are because I am not going to do a side-by-side viewing while I tell this story. But I just want you to know, I have a feeling, (laughs) just based on on what I know about the cartoon, there's going to be a few times you're going to be like, wait, what? There wasn't a girl who sent down an orange and he grew a tree in prison? What? I know, I know. It's a beautiful song, though, isn't it? Oh, it just makes you cry. Also, uh, in all of this, I I don't see... Uh, the the sovereignty of God the same way most people do and the way that they, you know, many people see it in that movie, you know, that somehow all the tragedy of Joseph's life was planned by God. I don't think that was true. And uh, we can get into that as well. But here we go. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Ziphlah, his father's wives, and he brought to brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and had made an ornate, ornate robe for him. When the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, I'm going to stop there for a little bit uh, before we get into the dreams, because, again, uh, I want to talk about the culture. Now, I think last last episode, uh, uh, I, I should have listened to it. I'm pretty sure I kind of screwed up the ages of the, of the brothers at this point. But so Joseph is 17. I don't know how old Benjamin is at this time, but but all 11 of these brothers outside of Benjamin all 11 brothers were born within a seven-year period of time while in Padam Aram down there at Laban's house. That's a whole lot of babies. And mathematically, it's correct. I, I you know, I, I have a chart. I can't show you because it's a podcast, but I have a, a chart. Uh, and, and man, it is, people have figured it out because you have to remember he married, uh, was tricked into marrying Leah. And a week later, he married Rachel. 
And Leah gave birth right away, got pregnant right away, probably on the wedding night. And then Leah had like four, four sons, like boom, 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 boom. And then Rachel was like, well, I can't, I can't go on like this. So she gave him her servant as a surrogate wife. And she started having babies. I think she had two, uh, two babies. And then Leah was like, oh, if your servant can have babies for you, then my servant can have babies for me. And she was like, here, take my servant as a surrogate wife. And she started having babies. And then Leah kept having babies. And then eventually Rachel became pregnant at, you know, at the end of all. And Joseph, Joseph was, was born. So when it says, you know, um, this Joseph was his favorite because he was born in his old age. You have to remember, Jacob started having these kids when he was like 84. So I don't know what old age is, but he had Joseph by the time he was like 90, 90 or 91. I mean, that's old for sure, but you started in your 80s, dude. I'm not sure. I mean, you could literally say that about any one of your children at this point, in my opinion. But maybe because his father lived till he was 180, you know, he figured, well, uh, you know, maybe he didn't consider himself old in the, in his 80s. You know, he's still had 100 years left, and he considered himself old when he was in his 90s. I don't, I don't know. But he's in the, in the 110, 111 age range. No, is that right? If he was 91, 101, uh, no. He's he's a, he's over a hundred and he's probably like a hundred seven hundred eight. Insane when this story, when this when this part of the story kicks in. I know there's mathematical people out there that are like looking at the radio going Bob no or looking at their phone going this is how old he is like this do the math it's like well I would but I don't really do math that well so here we go I do stories though I like stories. <laughs> I do appreciate numbers. I know that they have great value. I'm not trying to belittle the the numbers. I'm not. And numbers people are awesome. And trust me, I do know. I couldn't live without them because I, I married one. And frankly, every time our checkbook balances, I look around going, there's no way I could survive without uh, without that woman in my life. I would be destitute and... Uh, uh, and, and left alone on the streets with nothing to my name without numbers, without, without a woman who knows numbers. All right. On with the story. <laughs> uh, Joseph was a young man when he brought this report. So his mom's been dead. We don't know for how long, but Joseph was considered wise. He was considered good looking and he was, uh, old enough. To, to take on a role of running the flocks, running the, the, the mechanics of the business. Now, the brothers all were between the age of 17, which is Joseph. He would have been the, well, not the youngest because Benjamin's been born, but the youngest of that seven-year horde that was put together, <laughs> the youngest of the 11. And uh, the oldest one might have been around 24 at the time. Now, that's all old enough. Like they're all considered, especially the one at 24, he probably was considered, you know, a man at the age of 13. He's been running the show and being in business for a long time, uh, putting together his own flocks, putting together his own tents, uh, uh, probably had several servants of his own. Like, it, like 
we we in the Western world right created this whole concept of being a teenager, and then and then also being like a young adult and a student, and like none of that existed in this culture. In this culture, when you were 12, you started to put together life uh, to get ready for for work, full time business. And at 13, you were in business with your parents. And if you weren't in business with your parents, you were you were interning, so to speak, with a with a tradesman somewhere. But there was not this whole idea of like, well, now you're a teenager, just kind of, you know, kind of go to school and play games and do sports and kind of hang out with your friends and just socialize and develop yourself emotionally. Yeah, there just wasn't any of that in this culture. They just boom, just go for it deal with life and they did and then as you got you know whatever other other brothers and sisters would join the the party and they would start rolling out their their goods and their flocks and the the father would have divided up some flocks and said all right and now that you've learned the business these are yours take care of them and they would so all the brothers had their stuff going on and they would work together and they would they would keep their flocks not all together. That's way too many. But they would be around each other. They knew what each other were doing. They you had to plan out the uh, the fields that you'd go to, the water sources you'd go to, because you didn't want to overeat them and destroy them and cause you know the grass not to grow back again. So you'd rotate around. And not only did you have your family to keep track of, but you also had other shepherds. And it's it's a complicated yet highly relational and communal mindset. In this culture, this this flocks and agriculturally uh, uh, focused, um, what do I want to say? Not it's it's money. It's uh, economic uh, the economic structure of this culture. Everybody had to get along. Everybody had to know each other, where each other was, and everybody had to <clears throat> work together in order to be successful. And everybody was successful. So Joseph reported on the brothers. Now. This was probably, according to tradition, he mostly reported about Leah's children, not not ones who belonged to his mom. Well, that would have been just Benjamin or his mom's servant. He mostly went after Leah's uh, children. That's that's what tradition says. Joseph was considered kind of an overseer of the whole family business. All the brothers. Uh, Interactions, even with their own private flock, had to flow with the the family flocks, which is where they all started from, and of course the you know to enrich the family and the security of the family, and to buy and purchase fine jewelry and pottery, etc., from around the world. So uh, all of this is going on, and he reported a bad report about them. It's not. It doesn't mean that. That they were, you know, cursing. Oh, he cursed. I'm gonna tell mom. I'm gonna tell dad. You said something real mean to me. I'm get. I'm gonna tell him right now. You're gonna get in trouble when you get home. No, it's the idea that Joseph, his role as overseer, he was like management, upper management. His job was to keep an eye on things. And if the brothers were making bad choices regarding uh, the breeding of their animals, the feeding of their animals, the movements of their animals. All of this was considered things that he had to keep an eye on, things he had to keep track of. And if they got involved with locals, if they got in fights with locals, if they uh, made a bad marketing decision and made a bad trade, 
and ended up, you know, not being profitable for the family. Like these were things that Joseph kept an eye on. And he brought a bad report back to the father, which meant somebody did something that wasn't of a benefit to the family. Now, maybe it was a selfish benefit. Maybe it really benefited them, but it didn't benefit the family. Whatever it was, Joseph brought that bad report back. Now, verse 3, it says, Now Israel, which used to be Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age and made an ornament, or ornate, ornate ornament. Bob, wait, this is not Christmas. Well, it might be if we've stretched. No, it's not Christmas. This is only episode 51. It's probably... Let's guess, we'll see if I'm right now when this comes out. Uh, episode 51, let's guess it's October. Sometime in October. Anyways, it's almost Christmas, so maybe ornament will fit, but it's not really. It's just, a, it's the coat of many colors. Uh, sometimes, what, uh, what is the Broadway show? Uh, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. It was a, it was a magical coat. A magical coat. And uh, some traditions have that too, that it had some sort of spiritual power uh, connected to it. But first I want to deal with, now Joseph loved, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. As, as wonderful as, as people want to make Jacob slash Israel, uh, they, they, they traditionally, especially in the, in the Hebrew culture, they want Jacob to be un, almost untouchable as a father, as a as a spiritual leader, as a teacher of Yahweh, uh, that he's just like this beacon of light. He's not. I don't know how else to tell you. He's just not. And he didn't come from one. Remember, he came from a come from a family culture of favoritism. His father Isaac favored Esau. His mother favored him, and the two of them were at odds with each other. Two nations fighting against each other. Two ways of, of two paradigms of handling life against each other. They did not learn how to work together. They're, they're currently at peace together because one of them moved out of the country, literally, and they kind of knew if we, if we stayed close, we're going to end up killing each other. So they separated, which was probably very wise on their, on their part. But overall... He came from a culture of favoritism. He marries Leah, and then he marries Rachel. And again, he starts the same culture, the same favoritism between the two, between the two sisters. And it was clear to everyone that he loved Leah, but he really, really loved Rachel. And that was his favorite. And the same was true when it came to the children of, of those of those moms, wives, of those wives. He favored the children of the servant of Rachel more than the, the children of Leah or the children of Leah's servants. So this was this was a this is a very toxic environment for a child to grow up in. But it was the environment that Jacob knew and he recreated it. And we talked a little bit about that last time that this is this is that concept where God says a certain, sometimes sin will be passed on to the third and fourth generation. It's not that God holds it against you in some sort of maniacal, uh, 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 maniacal punishment. It's that it's very natural to recreate things. If you don't do the work to break the cycle, 
then you will continue the cycle. So he does this. Jacob continues this mindset of favoritism. So the children are born into this realm, right? They are raised. Their mothers know, hey, Rachel's the favorite one. Leah's like, yeah, well, I was the first wife. Yeah, well, you know, the... It's true, she was, but we all know that he worked seven years for me, and then he worked another seven years for me because he loved me that much. He could have left me there. He didn't. It just goes on and on. Oh, yeah, and you remember the story, the part of the, the story where the children are so involved in this that, remember, uh, the oldest one brings in the mandrakes, and Rachel's like, give me those mandrakes, and Leah's like, no, let me sleep with Jacob, and she's like, okay, fine, you can have Jacob tonight, but... I get the mandrakes. Like the children are involved in this. They know that moms are bickering about who favors who. They know that mom is literally trading dad, dad's sexual favors, you know, for, for basically some, some potato roots. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I just want you to understand that <laughs> a little bit more to really let it sink in because we don't see that right in the cartoon. <laughs> we don't see it in the movies. This is a nasty living environment. This is not a healthy family, no matter how you slice it. It is not the design that God had for them. Because God has a design that comes from the beginning. It comes from a place of light and love and unity and the staying in connection to the frequency of each other and with, and with creation. All of this is going on. Into this, Joseph is now the manager of the family business. All the brothers, they have their own flocks, but they're part of a larger flock, and it's part of the family. And it's Joseph's job to make sure everything unifies uh, and, and builds up the family to make it stronger. So somebody made some bad decisions, and I'm guessing it had to do with trading, and it had to do with uh, uh, mismanagement of funding. And I'm guessing it might have even had to do with something selfish. Like one of the brothers or two of the brothers got together and said, "Hey, let's let's make this deal. Let's trade this for that, but we'll be better off for it. It won't it won't really help the family, but who's going to know?" And Joseph found out. So Joseph goes to Jacob and he says, yeah, things that, you know, these guys, they're just they're not good businessmen. They're making bad decisions. They're I know, you know, I don't I don't know what we should do with them. Maybe we should, you know, no, I don't know, dock their pay. Is that, is that what you do? Bottom line is the report gave Jacob slash Israel more confidence in Joseph's ability to know what's going on. And it said that he favored him more than any of his, he loved him, favored him more than any of his sons. So, he makes him this robe, this coat of many colors. Now, this coat would have marked him. That's one of the reasons why I, I put down as this title, right? Joseph is marked and favored. He's marked as a supervisor, basically. It's like wearing one of those fluorescent um, vests, right, that, that the inspectors wear when they come to a construction site. I, I, I follow a few different, you know, TikTok things and uh, memes about construction sites because I have uh, one of my sons is a electrician. So I like to find goofy pictures and send it to him. But 
these guys that make fun of the inspectors, right? I can't do your job, but I'll tell you how it should be, you know, what it should look like, that sort of thing. Like those who those who can do, those who can't teach. And those who can't teach, teach gym. I, I that's a terrible that's terrible. I'm sorry if you're a gym teacher out there. I just it's just you probably have heard it though, right? So he's marked in a robe that you could see for miles, it seemed like. Almost like like a fluorescent you know, vest. It's it's like the guy who shows up at the at the skyscraper wearing the white helmet. It's like, oh yeah, that guy, right? There's no there's no stickers on it. There's no damage to it. There's no marks on it. It's clearly somebody who actually doesn't do anything for a living. They just walk around and tell people who actually work for a living what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. It's 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 ridiculous. So you take you take Joseph in an environment of favoritism, in an environment of of uh, unequal love, and the dad thinks it's a good idea to mark him separate even more, to level him up to a whole different place. At 17, this is this is uh, this is what's crazy. When it says it says when the brothers saw that his father loved him more than them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. So you can picture this at uh, at like family meetings, which would have happened on the regular. I don't know if they happened daily, but they they happened it multiple times a week, where where all the men would sit in the tent, they'd have their meal together, and then they would talk business. And the brothers would talk away about what they needed to do, where they needed to go, and the dad would keep checking in with Joseph. What do you think, Joseph? What do you think, Joseph? And the dad was communicating to all the brothers. I don't really care, you know, what you all want. I care what this guy wants. This guy's smarter than all of you. This guy's loved more than all of you. This guy is the one I want to hear from more than all of you. Matter of fact, I don't really mind if we don't have these meetings because I can just talk to Joseph. That's what the dad keeps communicating. And in his own twisted way, he thinks he thinks this is a way to show love. He thinks this is the way to communicate, I love you, Joseph. You matter more to me than anything else. This is healthy. This is good. This is the way it was between me and my mom. And and I got to wonder what Joseph is thinking in all of this. Because I've met a few of these favored people, both as a coach and as a pastor. And when somebody is highly favored amongst their, their parents, they usually don't know it, or they think it's awesome. Generally, right? I mean, if you're the favored one, your thought is, "Well, this is good, right?" If you've, if, this often gets pinned on like the youngest brother, which of course Joseph almost is outside of Benjamin. He's the favorite. He gets away with everything. The oldest one doesn't get away with anything. The youngest one gets away with everything. And the middle one gets the point at the youngest one, and you know they they play that game if they're if they're even in there. So everybody's looking at Joseph, going, "You're an idiot, uh, not an idiot. You're a jerk. We don't like you." And Joseph's thinking, "Hey guys, it's not my fault. Dad likes me more. Like you keep making these mistakes. What do you want me to do? It's not that it's not my fault that I was born to Rachel." It's not like dad didn't try to have, you know, multiple children with Rachel. I was just the first one who came out. It's not my fault. Like, let's all get along. This is going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. 
I don't think Joseph sees it. That's I really don't because of what happens next. I don't think he understands what favor and love is it. Like he gets a new coat and probably similar to the uh to the cartoon like he thinks it's awesome. Look at this new coat. Look at how beautiful it is. Look how bright it is. And the brothers are all thinking, "Yeah. We hate you." It says it, <laughs> During the during the the men's dialogue, right, it, uh, that they would sit around, they hated him. Could not speak a kind word to him. Now it doesn't matter how wise Joseph is, and he was evidently very wise. And it doesn't matter uh, what insights he might have had. And they might have, they probably were all really good. I mean, maybe the dad had legitimate reasons to like him more. Maybe his ideas really did work out best. Maybe his business plans actually did work out really well. Maybe Joseph observed his brothers and their mistakes throughout his younger years and was like, wow, I can learn a lot by what they're doing. I can learn a lot by listening to dad describe how much he didn't like what they did or how he would have done something different. And Joseph maybe learned how to be uh, wiser beyond his years. By observation. But all that's going on in a culture of of favoritism and and clearly that of hate. They couldn't say a kind word to him. That's amazing. That's amazing. Both practically and spiritually, Joseph had it over his brothers. And I don't think he understood the extent to which that occurred. I'm sure he figured they didn't really like him. I'm sure he laughed off a lot of their their rude remarks because clearly they couldn't say a kind word to him. And into that culture, into that di- diagram, diagram, no, dynamic, <laughs> into that family dynamic, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Good grief, Joseph. What are you thinking? You literally have no friendly conversations, right? You can talk business, you can talk facts, and then it's just silence. Nobody wants to talk to you. There's no interactions other than business. And even the responses and questions about the family or about the brothers, like there's just no trust. Joseph is not considered a safe place for anybody to talk. You couldn't you couldn't say anything to Joseph because Joseph would go tell dad. You couldn't tell him about your family. You couldn't tell him about, about you know, anybody you're interested in. You couldn't tell him about potential marketing deals because if you told him, told it to Joseph, he was going to tell it to dad. There was something about a lack of honor and a lack of safety that was between Joseph and his brothers. And we went into why all that was. Into this dynamic, Joseph has a dream. And he says to them, verse 6, listen to this dream I had. What, 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 like, how unaware do you have to be? Now, I I guess at some level, I I consider myself very self-aware. And if I had a dream and, and lived in this culture, I'd probably keep it to myself because, well, I'm just smarter and wiser than Joseph and And now that you listen to the epic narrative, of course, you are smarter and wiser than Joseph as well. And then I I start thinking, nah, I I probably would have told him. Because dreams were were important, right? Unlike in uh, many of uh, today's culture, 
some people consider dreams just, you know, a bad meal from the night before. But others understand it to be a language, a spiritual language. And I believe it to be a spiritual language. So if I have a dream and it's significant, I usually want to talk to somebody about it because I want confirmation. I want uh, I want some interaction. I want some conversation. I want some community interaction around what it is I thought I think God might be saying to me. Now, Jacob, of course, or Israel at this point, he's had multiple conversations with God. He's had multiple dreams with God. He's he comes from a you know a family line where that has occurred. And the fact that Joseph had a dream. And felt the need to just to tell people, especially his brothers who hate him, I think was some sort of, or, well, there's a lot of possibilities, but one of them would be, he's thinking, okay, if they recognize that God is speaking to me, then maybe, maybe they'll understand why dad likes me so much. Like, it's not my fault. Like, God is with me. He's talking to me. I want the whole family to know What's going on here? I want them to know that that I am, you know, not special, but I'm like I'm I'm a resource. I'm a resource of connection to heaven. But it says when he tells them, they hate him even more. To me, that's n there's like no surprise. That's no surprise. Now, possibly Joe was immature. Maybe, or like I said, maybe he wasn't aware. He didn't think it would hurt to let them know. He was thinking, "Hey, I had a I had a dream. Did you guys, you're gonna you're gonna love this." I don't think it was you know one of those conversations that he had. He ran out to the fields and was like, "Hey, brother, listen to me. I had this dream last night. You're gonna love it." I think it was probably around the family meal at the end of the day when everybody would sit around and talk about what was going on, and then they would all wait for Joseph to give his opinion on things, and then they'd all leave. It was just business, just doing business around the family table. And while they're doing business, I think probably toward the end of it, Joseph says, hey, guys, I want to tell you guys a dream I had. Now, it doesn't look like Israel's uh, around during this first one. Now, he might have been, but he goes, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. Really? That's That was your dream? Yeah. Oh, great. Do you really intend to rule over us? Is that, is that, is that what you think? You actually are going to rule over us. And they hated him all the more. Like they hated him already. They couldn't say a nice thing about him. In verse 4, now in verse 8, they hate him all the more. Now, maybe he was just so excited to hear from God that he took it as like an opportunity. Maybe, maybe there, I mean, no one says that they didn't. Maybe everybody there had heard from God. Maybe this was his first dream. He wanted everyone to know, look, I'm just like you. I'm just like all of you. I got dreams. I got a dream from God. I don't know. Could be. Maybe he thought, listen, if they know that I'm going to rule over them one day, maybe they'll stop hating me. And they'll realize that it's God's plan. 
<laughs> I always, as I've mentioned before, always drag God into anything that <laughs> you possibly can. Because, you know, then who can argue with you? Maybe that's what is, maybe, maybe that was part of his motive. Uh, listen, if I'm going to rule over you, like it will, it, like now you can understand why dad is, you know, favors me over you. I'm going to take over the family. They're thinking you're the youngest son. You're the youngest one. You are literally 11th in line. You really think you're going to rule over us. That's what they're, that's what they're throwing out there. Do you really think that you are going to reign over us? That all, all 10 of us are somehow going to uh, not only organize ourselves in under your rulership, but we're all going to agree to your rulership. And they, I can picture them walking back out to their tents going, you know, it'll be a cold day in, in uh, this place, <laughs> in the Sahara. I don't think that that was a thing back then. But anyways, it'll be a cold day in the Sinai before that ever happens. Like, I am not, he is out of his ever love in mind. There's no way that dream from God, that came from God. Like, I cannot imagine a scenario where I would be sitting around going, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see that. Joseph's in charge. Joseph's the smart one. Joseph's the one we should all follow. Joseph's so wise. Yep. I think I'll just bow down to him. Like, they're laughing about this. They're they're mad about this. Some of them are, are sincerely offended and hurt. And, and just don't, they literally can't contain their anger at this point. Remember, they've hated him for a while, and now they hate him even more. Like, this escalated everything. Now, maybe he sees it, you know, he sees the dream, and he says to himself, wow, this is really prophetic. Uh, and if it's a prophetic dream, the culture of, the religious culture, right, Jacob would have taught him that if you get a dream from God, you can't keep it to yourself. It was considered it was considered wrong. Like if you hear from God and don't share it with people, like that's just selfish. That's pride. That is uh, actually almost like basically it was forbidden. You have to share the dream. If you get a dream from God, you have to share it. So maybe that's what that that could be legitimate. Maybe that was his motive. He was like, guys, I had a dream from God. This is what it said. And they're all like, wait, really? This, like, there's no way you heard from God. And it could have been, maybe he was uh, trying to one-up all of Leah's kids and, and uh, Leah's servants' kids by saying, hey, you all are going to bow down to me. I mean, Benjamin was the only one that, that technically was from Rachel that would have been his true brother, and he was probably too young to even even have a word as to who's going to bow down to who. So maybe he was just saying, hey, just throwing it out there, guys. I think God's on my side. I, it seems a little arrogant, but could be. Could be. Well, after all that, he has another dream. He has another dream, and he tells it to his brothers again. I don't know why, except, uh, you know, currently, at the time of this recording, I'm leaning toward the idea that 
He believes these dreams are from God, and he believes it is inappropriate for him to keep the dreams to himself. All those other possibilities are possibilities. I'm not taking away from those. I'm just letting you know which one I'm leaning toward. I think he sees these things as from God, and he believes he has a moral obligation to share them with the family. And he just trusts God with the outcome. Now, that the reason why I lean on that is because of what happens the rest of Joseph's life. He seems to trust God with the outcome. He seems to have that mindset of, I'm just going to let God do what God wants to do. I'm going to do what I believe is right. I'm going to let God do what God's going to do. So maybe this was, not maybe, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have that mindset suddenly. You have that mindset because it's developed over time. So I have a sense that, that he's probably already developed this mindset. And he could have gained it from talking to his father who taught people about Yahweh. He might have come to a place in his own spiritual growth where he's like, you know what? I'm going to trust God with all this. And I'm, I, I can't depend on my brothers. They hate me. They can't say a nice thing about me. I'm just going to, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it fly. Do what I'm, I've been asked to do. I'm going to honor my father because that's what he's asked me. You know, I'm going to report on my brothers because that's what I was told to do. I'm going to wear the jacket because my father gave it to me. I'm honored that he's chosen me to oversee the family business. And I'm just going to let, I'm going to leave the end up to God. I, I can't go through life trying to make something happen. Generally, I think that's what Joseph landed on. Because of what he, what we see in the future, I don't think you get what goes on the rest of Joseph's life if you don't start at a pretty solid place. I'm not saying he started there. I think over time he he was like, I have choices on how to handle these circumstances. I can play these. I can play the political game. I can play the manipulation game. I can play the shame and guilt game, which is what all the brothers are doing. I can play the favoritism game. I can play the favoritism card, and I can tell everyone it doesn't matter. You know, Dad loves me more, so you know, eat it. He doesn't do any of that, I don't think. I think over time he decides, I can't change the environment I live in. I can't change the circumstances I live in. I am going to have to trust God with everything. And that's what he does. So he has another dream. And he says, listen, I had another dream. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that was the original actual language that he used, but it's just kind of funny to me. Because if he's sitting in the circle, because his dad's a part of this conversation as well, and he says those that phrase, "Hey guys, so before we all go, you know, I had a dream again last uh, last night. I thought maybe everyone should know. I believe it's from God. Uh, this is what it is. Um, this time we were all, you know, in the skies and uh, the sun and the moon and eleven stars, and they were all bowing down to me." And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, the father rebuked him. What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous, and his father kept the matter in mind. So he throws out this dream. He's like, okay, here's here's another one. You know, you, you didn't believe the last one? God confirmed it. He sent it again. This time it was a little different environment, but... He sent it again, and uh, they were not happy. I imagine when he started out with that phrase, they looked down. Some looked at the ground, some looked at each other, some rolled their eyes, some hung their head and you know put their hands over their face like, 
Like, you have got to be kidding me. I do think there might have been one. I think possibly the oldest one thought to himself, maybe this is from God because of his reaction later on. I'm not saying that he stood up for Joseph. He definitely did not. And I'm not saying anyone defended him. There's no indication that anyone defended him. But I wonder if possibly one or two of the brothers started to consider the remote, the remote possibility that this was from God. Now, the father tries to keep the peace because he's like, really? You really think that your mother and I and your brothers are actually going to come and bow down to the gr- on the ground before you? Now, remember, the moon represents his mother, which would be Rachel, but she's been dead. She She's not around. So clearly, something in here, you know, Jacob, I think, is jumping on this saying, hey, it can't be. This can't be from God because your mother ain't going to bow down to you. But... The moon could have also been the maidservant who was who took over for Rachel when she died. Remember, the dad moved in with her right away. And then the oldest son went and either moved his dad's bed into Leah's tent or slept with the, the servant. We're not sure which one. The language could go either way. But, but Jacob or Israel had clearly stepped in with the servant and made her second in uh and over Leah as far as favor goes. So the the moon represented her at this point. Clearly Rachel was not going to come back from the dead and bow down to Joseph. And that was kind of the way that he in the in the language of the of the of the writing here, he's kind of trying to keep the peace by basically debunking the dream in front of the brothers, but then what does it say? But the father kept this in mind. He he kept it in mind because he's like, all right, this is the second dream. And uh, it probably is from God. And uh, probably should be paying attention to what's going on here. So that's all he did. But again, he did not defend Joseph to the brothers. He didn't, even though I'm sure hundreds of times in the in the past he has defended Joseph to the brothers, this time he didn't. He let this one ride. He let Joseph take the full weight of not only his brothers rebuking him, but his father's rebuke as well. And that's why I think in the end, Joseph had had already adopted a mindset that said, I'm going to trust God with the results. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to honor my father. I'm going to honor what I believe is correct about dreams. If they come from God, I need to share them with people so that we can interact around them and see if they really came from him. Like, I don't necessarily think he was he was delivering a unquestionable word. He was delivering what God had sent to him to for discussion and for dialogue. That's what you did in the circles after dinner. You sat around and talked about things. Is this really from God? And everybody, re, you know, basically rejected him and walked away. So he's left with it. I guess it is. And what are we going to do with it? We don't know. At least not this week on the epic narrative. But we're going to find out next week on the epic narrative. Because somebody decides to do something about this whole mess that Joseph seems to be getting blamed for. (laughs) See you next week. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. I was, I was, I, I was dead wrong, wasn't I? Literally, it's Christmas. 
I really thought episode 51 would be in October, maybe early November. I, I'm so I'm so off when it comes to these things. Oh my goodness, you guys are awesome. Uh, you guys are awesome. I I love the story, of Joseph. I'm getting all excited again. I I think you're gonna really enjoy the the rest of the season. Which, of course, finishes with Joseph. So we were in the last leg of season two, and I am about halfway through recording uh, season three. So all of that is very exciting for me. But because it is Christmas, I have a couple of thoughts about Christmas. And I know that some these may be, it just just know that these just come from my, year, my, my studies, my interaction with... Um, with people who know this stuff. Uh, there's a lot of preachers who love to blame Constantine for adopting uh, Christmas into some pagan holiday back when he became uh, a Christian and then he had to do something with all of these pagan holidays. So he relabeled them Christian holidays and made everybody happy. Uh, now all of his officials could continue, quote, you know, kind of worshiping their own idols, but they could do it in the name of Christianity and not have to die or be punished for not following the national religion. Now, there is something very powerful about Constantine shifting to a national religion from one of multiple gods to one of just one god. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be something that we discuss and look at because it is, it, it has a lot of ramifications. But Christians were celebrating Jesus' birth long before Constantine, and they were celebrating it in December. And we can, we can find that evidence. We can find it in writings, early church writings, early uh, historical writings, that December was the choice that they made when it came to the birth of Jesus. Did they have a birth certificate? No. They had a legend. <laughs> this, the Jews uh, believe this, uh, and and again, it's you can find the the evidence of this. They believed that your death uh, occurred nine months before your birth, and so the death of Jesus is is uh, the crucifixion was always tied into early spring, i.e., March. And nine months before, you know, after that is is December. So they were already they they had assigned December as the birth time, the birth month of Jesus, and and it's it you know I don't quite get it. I I would have thought it would have went the other direction, um, you know, that when you die they back up nine months, but that's not how they do it. They go forward nine months. And they say you were born in December, and then they would, and they did this for Abraham. I mean, as we're studying Genesis, they did this for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob, and they determined when they were born based on when they died, because birth records were kind of fuzzy. Death records were more concrete because by the end of your life, you knew who you were going to be or if you were significant, and if you were significant, they would make note of that, and then they'd say, all right. So he must have been born, and they would assign the month. So there, there's the, the um, there's some things to consider 
when you hear a preacher get all freaky deaky about Constantine and how he incorporated Christianity into all this idol worship, the, the, the truth sometimes is a little more complicated because, you know, uh, it involves more time and thought, critical thinking, and some preachers really don't want you thinking critically. Some of them just want you to listen to what they have to say and then go with it. And if anybody questions you, tell them that they're questioning God and, and you know, never associate with them again because they're clearly a bad influence. Anyway, those are my basic thoughts. I know they're short. I hope they're sweet. Hope you have yourself a, had a fabulous Christmas. Uh, we will see you again um, soon on the Epic Narrative. And uh, season three is coming up quick. Life of Moses. Well, not the life. It's the story. It's it's the book of Exodus. It, yeah, it's more complicated than one book. I kind of thought we'd... Anyways, I'll tell you more about season three coming up soon. I hope you guys have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.